0: You are listening to the SCC Cast, weekly teaching and preaching from Springview Community Church. Find us on the web at www.springviewcc.org. We are located at 12881 Andersonville Road in Davisburg, Michigan. We welcome you to come as you are to experience a friendly worship setting with biblical preaching, teaching, and application. Now, Here's our guest speaker. If I'm if I'm missing one, I'm just throwing it out there. Um, Romans 8, and uh, we'll read a few verses. I wish I wish we could tackle this entire chapter in one sitting. I don't think that would work. We'd be here a very, very long time. My wife's flight doesn't get in until 9 tonight, though, so I'm open. If you're open, I'm open. Um, but we'll, we'll try to see how far we can get through this chapter. I don't know that it's going to be very far, but... Romans chapter 8, verse number 1. Let's read this first paragraph, um, and then we'll jump in. Romans 8, verse 1. there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for um, this good day that you've given us. Thank you for um, the grace and the mercy. Uh, that you bestow upon us each day. God, thank you for your patience with us as you mold and shape us in your image and your likeness. God, thank you for your working in us and on us and through us. Father, thank you for this opportunity to gather together in your house. And God, thank you for the time of worship that we have had. And God, thank you now for this time, uh, Lord, to open your word together and to read and to study your word together. God, I ask that you would, Lord, inhabit this time, overshadow this time. God, that as we look into your word, that your spirit would be our guide, that that you would be our teacher. God, I pray that you would, Lord, strengthen us in our faith and in our walk with you as a result of our time together in your word. God, I thank you for this great privilege that you've given me to minister your word. Lord, I confess this morning my own inadequacy, my own uh, inability to do this. Lord, I am nothing without you. God, I just ask this morning that you'd help me, that you would uh, fill me, empower me, use me by your Holy Spirit. Love and minister through me today. God, in a way that would, God, first and foremost, lift you up and point everybody here to you. Lord, in a way that would build up your church and edify your church this morning. Father, we love you. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, we've been walking through the book of Romans in uh, my Sunday school class at, at where, where I go to church. And um, we, we taught through Romans 8 now. It's been, it's been several months ago. But when, when Ben when Ben asked me to to, to teach here, I really feel like this this is where this is where we should be this morning. Romans eight. Again, I wish that we could take time to go through um, the entirety of this chapter. Um, if you were to boil down Romans eight into one kind of overshadowing statement, I would say Romans eight is all about who we are as believers. In Christ. It's all about our identity in Christ. And the longer that I am a Christian, the longer that I am a follower of Jesus Christ, the more I believe that we need to be reminded regularly who we are in Christ. And the longer that I serve the Lord in ministry, the more sure I am that So much of the ministry is simply reminding God's people of who they are in Christ. So much of our insecurities and and our doubts and our unbelief, it it all boils down to us losing sight of who we are in Christ. And, and, And those are the things that Paul addresses here in Romans 8. He addresses the idea, the subject of who we are in Christ. He begins the chapter in verse number one by writing that there is therefore now no, what's that next word? There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. He ends the chapter, if you look at verse number, oh man, let me look at my notes, 33 through 35. Um, your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to, the sla- to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So, so this chapter begins with there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. It ends with there is no separation for those who are in Christ. And then packed in the middle you have the fullness and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You have us as God's children being adopted. And and you have God working all things together for our good and for his glory. So again, I wish we could get through all of this. I I promise I'm not going to. Would you read Romans chapter 8 this afternoon and be encouraged and reminded of who you are in Christ? We're going to start with verse 1. And we're just going to see how far we can go. If you look at your bulletin, that's not it. I have there. The notes is empty, so we're we're just winging it. Okay, my my notes are empty. Romans eight verse one. There is therefore again. What's that next word? Romans eight verse one. There is therefore now what. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Now. I don't know that there is necessarily a a deep word study that needs to be done here on this word now. I think we all understand what this word means, right? Now is right now. Now is not later. Now is not the past. Now is currently, right? And what does Paul write here that our current standing in Christ is? He says, there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Christ Jesus. So right now, as you sit in this room, Paul writes here, Scripture teaches there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. This verse describes our current standing or our current status in Christ. Anybody on social media this morning? Not like actually right now, but anybody on social media? Right? Anybody? You shouldn't be on social media, Maddie. We'll talk after church. Like Facebook, you do, a, you do a status update or, or, or people they tweet out in Twitter. I'm not sure. But th- this would be our Facebook status today. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Amen? That's our standing. And we, we need to be reminded of that. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are no condemnation. Longer condemned. Go over to Colossians chapter 2 with me. There's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Colossians chapter 2, verse number 13. Paul is writing here. Colossians 2, verse number 13. Now let's jump up to verse number 11. In him also you were circumcised or circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Verse 13. And you who were dead, pa- dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh Pause right, right there. What, what is our current standing in Christ? There's therefore now what? Right, that, that is who we are right now in Christ. But what does Paul say we were here in, in Colossians 2, verse number 13? You were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. But listen, God made alive together with him, having done what? Having forgiven what? All of your trespasses. What are trespasses? Bad. Th- all of our sins. Every every bad thing that you've done. It's it's forgiven. That three letter word there. Having forgiven us all. What's that word mean? Everything. Everything. In Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation because God has forgiven us all of our trespasses. And we need to be reminded of that, don't we? The enemy wants us to feel guilty over the past that we have lived and that we can do nothing to change. Leave it with God and know that he has forgiven you all of your trespasses, all of your sins. He has made you alive together, verse 13, with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. So he's forgiven us all of our trespasses. Verse 14, he canceled the record of debt that stood against us. We had a, a record because we all have sinned. Paul, if you if you study through Romans, Paul lays this out very clearly that we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We all have a record. If if you if you travel back. To to Paul's day, and if you were sitting in a Roman prison cell, there would have been a record hanging outside of your door with a list of all of the charges against you that you were currently serving time for. So picture you and picture me as sinners before God, condemned to spend eternity in hell with a record of all of the sins that we have ever committed. You have that visual? Hopefully, you're not picturing mine. Hopefully, you're picturing yours. Now, what would happen if you go back to Paul's day? Once you had served time to, to cancel out or serve for all of your charges, all of those charges would be crossed out, and that record would be given to you. That was verification. That was proof positive that you had served time for all of the charges that, you were, that were charged against you. That makes sense? Now, look at what Paul says here about our record. We have or had a record, okay? But Paul writes here that we are forgiven for all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. So our record, all of the charges that were, were, were being held against us, it has been canceled by Jesus Christ that record, that long list of sins that we are condemned to spend eternity in hell for, it's canceled. It's canceled. Not only is it canceled, all of the legal demands are canceled. He set it aside by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over over them. So what we need to realize this morning is that we are no longer condemned. In Christ, we are free from the condemnation that we deserve. Amen. So remember that this this morning. Be reminded of that this morning that there is therefore now no condemnation. Jump back to Romans 8. Romans 8 verse 1. There is therefore now, currently, this moment, no condemnation for those who what? Who does the status belong to? To those who are in Christ. To those who are in Christ. Read it again. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. You see, the security of our standing, our status of no condemnation is because of our position in Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation to you and to me because we are in Christ Jesus. Amen. So this brings me to ask the question of how secure are we in Christ? If the condition of our standing of no condemnation hinges on our position in Christ, how secure are we? How secure are you in your position and in my position in Christ? Over to 1 John, chapter 5. 1 John, chapter 5, and then John, chapter 10, if you want to look ahead. 1 John 5, verse number 13. <clears throat> John writes here, 1 John 5, verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may, what's that next word? Know, that you may be confident, that you may be assured, that you may know that you have eternal life. That you may know that you have eternal life. You currently possess it. Do you know that this morning? You currently, you have eternal life. And this is the, what's that next word? confidence. This is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Jump over to John John chapter 10, the gospel of John chapter 10. The gospel of John chapter 10, verse 27. Jesus is, is speaking here, and he says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Who can snatch you out of the hand of Jesus? No one. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And what are those next two words? No one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. So how secure are we in Christ? Absolutely secure, aren't we? There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ, and we are secure in Christ because we have God's word on it, don't we? God, who cannot lie, has promised us that we are secure in Christ. We have his word on it. Jesus teaches here that no one can take us out of his hand. Our standing in Christ is secure because it is not performance based. It's position based, isn't it? It's not based on any good or bad that we have done, but rather our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ and our position in him. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. We are not condemned because we are in Christ. So as we follow Jesus this morning, listen, be reminded that you are no longer condemned. There's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Notice secondly, that we are no longer slaves to sin. Go back to Romans 8. Not only are we no longer condemned, we are no longer slaves. To sin. What time does church normally get out? I know, so that we, (laughs) I'm looking at the clock. Church now starts at 10:30, right? So this this throws me a little bit. Last time I was here, we started. What's that? 11:40. Okay, 11, 11:40. All right. So not only are we no longer people, 11:25. Not only are we no longer condemned, we are no longer slaves to sin. Romans 8, verse 2 For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free, notice these words again, in Christ Jesus, from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So let's start with verse number two, all right? There's a lot here. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Let's take this verse from the middle and work our way out to the end, okay? The Scripture says here that we have been set free in Christ Jesus. We are no longer slaves to sin because we have been set free in Christ Jesus. What have we been set free by? Look at the very first part of this verse. What have we been set free by? For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. I like the way the New Living Translation renders this. New Living Translation reads that the power of the life-giving Spirit has set us free in Christ Jesus. Okay, so we've been set free by the Spirit. What have we then been set free from? All right. Let's. Pause here and kind of backtrack here. Let's remember and and be reminded here, it is the power of the Spirit that is the source of our freedom. Amen? Not our works, not our righteousness, but the power of the Spirit that has set us free in Christ Jesus. And what have we been set free from? Notice verse 2, the very last part. We've been set free from the law of sin and death. Again, the the New Living Translation renders this the power of sin that leads to death. We we, we remember, if 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 you go through the book of Romans, Romans teaches that the wages of sin is what? Death. Sin always ends in death. But through the power of the Spirit, we have been set free in Christ from the law of sin and death. We are no longer slaves to sin, for the spirit of life has set us free. We are, we are free in verse one. Notice we are free from the, we are free from the guilt of sin. There's therefore now no condemnation. Verse 2, here we are free from the power of sin. Sin no longer has dominion or control over us. Verse 3 and 4. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. God has done what the law could not do. So my question here, as you read through this, and I think it's logical to ask it, is what could the law not do? If God here has done what the law could not do, how many of you then would, would, would wonder, well, what could the law not do? And kind of maybe a broader statement, what was the purpose of the law anyway? Well, if you read through scripture, you'll find the law could not bring justification. Justification is something that the law could not bring. You'll read about that in Romans 3 verse 20, Galatians 2 verses 5 through 16. The law could not bring justification. The law could not conquer our sinful flesh, our evil nature, could it? The law could not conquer flesh or our sinful nature. The law just simply stated what was right and what was wrong. Do laws make you obey them? How many of you drove to church this morning? Honesty and transparency in church. How many of you passed signs that are white that had a number on them? How many of you looked down at your speedometer and saw that you were not going that number? That law couldn't. Yeah, me too. Me too. My minivan, the the speed, the speed, the the speed on the on the dashboard gets like orange when you're speeding. But those, that law couldn't make you obey it. Could it conquer your desire to go faster than than the speed limit? It's the law, right? It tells you the limit. It tells you what is right, but who is it up to to obey that law? You and me. The the, the same is true here in, in, in referring to God's law. God's law could not conquer our sinful flesh or our evil nature. David Guzik, in his commentary on this chapter, writes, The law could not defeat sin. It could only detect sin. Only Jesus can defeat sin, and he did just that through his work on the cross. So the law could never bring justification. The law could never conquer our sinful flesh or our evil nature. So why was the law incapable of bringing justification? Let's answer it this way. Why is the speed limit sign incapable of forcing you to keep the speed limit? What's that? It's up to to you. Because it's depending on us. The same is true with God's law here. God's law was incapable of bringing justification because as Paul says it here, it was weakened by the flesh. It was weakened by our ability to keep it. And Scripture teaches that not a single one of us has been able to keep all of God's law. Because the Bible says in in, in Romans that we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. So God's law could not bring justification because it was weakened by our ability to keep it. So does this then mean that God's law has failed? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. The law has done exactly what it was intended to do, what what it was intended for. The God law has done exactly what God intended it to do, and that is this it has pointed us to Jesus Christ. You read about this in Galatians chapter 3. The law has done exactly what it was intended for, and that is that it has pointed us to Jesus Christ. So jump back to Romans 8 verse 3, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. So we've looked at what the law couldn't do, right? We've looked at the purpose of the law. So what has God done that the law could not do? What has God done that the law could not do? That's what it says here in verse 3, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not First thing is this, he condemned sin in the flesh. Verse number three, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Well, what does this mean? This means that he, he has ended the reign of sin, the power of sin, the control of sin over us. This points us back to verse number two, where Paul writes, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus, from the law of sin and death. John Wesley, on this passage, writes this. He writes, he condemned that sin which was in our flesh, gave sentence that sin should be destroyed, and the believer wholly delivered from it. Don't miss the powerful message here, the powerful truth in this passage, and it's this. We don't have to sin. We don't have to. That's what Paul is teaching here. Sin no longer has control over you. Sin no longer has control over me. That means in Christ, through the Spirit, we have the power to not sin. You don't have to sin. We don't have to yield to the flesh because sin no longer has power over us. We are no longer slaves to sin. He then writes in verse number four that the righteous requirement of the law has been fulfilled in us. Verse four, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. The holiness, the righteousness that the law required, the, the, the holiness and the righteousness that we could never measure up to, Paul is saying here, has been fulfilled and satisfied in us and for us. That record that that has been canceled out for us and in its place has been given to us the righteousness of God. Amen? God has, verse four, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Sin has been condemned and we have been declared Righteous. That's what Paul is writing about back in Roman in, in, in Colossians 2, when we read about that God has canceled all of our trespasses, He's canceled our record, our debt, we are now made alive together with Christ. We are no longer condemned, and we are no longer slaves to sin. How has God condemned sin? How has God satisfied the righteous requirements of the law? What has God done that has has, has performed this great miracle that the law could never do? Look back at verse 3. We kind of read over it. Verse 3. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. He sent his son for our sin. How has God defeated sin? He sent his son for our sin. How has God conquered sin and and delivered us from being slaves to sin? God has sent his son for our sin. Jesus, God's son, took on flesh came to the earth to condemn sin and to fulfill the righteous requirements of the law, to do that which you and I could never do. Now our righteousness is in Christ. Amen? This brings us back to verse number one again, doesn't it? There's therefore now no condemnation to who? To those who are in Christ. Our righteousness is not in ourselves, It's not in our works or our effort or anything that we could do. It's in Christ and in Christ alone. Look over at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians 1, verse number 30. I was looking through my notes and looking at the time and kind of gauging how far we're going to get. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God righteousness and sanctification and redemption. You see it? And because of him you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God. What's that next word? Righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Verse 31. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Christ has become our righteousness. Go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 21. For our sake Paul writes here, for our sake he made him to be sin Who knew no sin, so that in him, that is in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. How have we been declared righteous? How has God conquered sin in the flesh and condemned sin in the flesh? He sent his son for our sin, so that now we are no longer slaves to sin. Back to Romans 8. Christ has become our righteousness. And this is why Paul can write in Romans 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. There's no condemnation because Christ has become our righteousness. So we are no longer condemned, verse 1. There's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. We are no longer slaves to sin, verses 2 through 4. And we're not going to get through all of this. I just want to, let's just throw it out here, and uh, we'll see. We'll, we'll wrap this up soon. So we're, we're, we're no longer condemned. We're no longer slaves to sin. Notice thirdly, we are no longer controlled by our flesh. We are no longer controlled by our flesh. Another way would, 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 be, would, would, be, would be to say this. We now have the Holy Spirit living within us. We are no longer controlled by our flesh because we have the Holy Spirit living within us. And and you'll find this truth kind of uh, fleshed out through verses 4 through 11. What Paul writes here is that our status of no condemnation and the righteous requirement of the law being fulfilled in us has everything to do with first our position in Christ, And secondly, the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. We owe everything to him. One commentator writes it this way, he returns to that which he said, that the sanctification which has begun in us is a sure testimony of our engrafting into Christ, which is a most plentiful fruit of a godly and honest life. So in this section, what Paul is going to do is he's going to Compare and contrast um, living in the flesh and living in the spirit, or or living a life that is controlled by the flesh and a life that is controlled by the spirit. And let's read through these. We're not going to expound upon all of this. I want to get through verse eleven, and I know okay, we've only gone through four verses, right? We're going to go fast. Okay, so buckle up Um, for the verse four. Um, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be, fu- be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but what? You am going to read this over and over and over. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. So those controlled by the flesh and those controlled by the Spirit are different in the things that they set their minds on. Do you see it there? Right. Those controlled by the flesh, what are they thinking about all the time? Things that pertain to the flesh. Earthly things. Worldly things. But those who are controlled by the Spirit, what, what do they have their minds set on? Heavenly things. Amen? I believe in our scripture reading this morning, those, we, we, we wrote about laying lay out up treasure for yourselves on the earth. Right Where your treasure is, or where will your heart be also? Where's your treasure? Where's your mind? What is controlling you? What is driving you this morning? Verse 6, for to set the mind on the flesh is what? To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Verse 9. You, however, now he's talking to believers. You, however, you are not in the flesh, but what? In the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, I think we need to get a hold of that verse. The, the, the very same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, where is that spirit living? In you and me. See, how can I conquer my flesh? How can I conquer my sin? The same Spirit that conquered the grave lives in you and lives in me. Amen? The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the grave, uh, verse number 11, If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So here, and we didn't really break a lot of this down, but it's compared and contrasted living in the flesh and living in the spirit. And we are promised this great power of conquering sin through the spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, living and dwelling in us. I find here a, a great difference between two terms, and we'll wrap this up here. The term reform and the term transform. All that we can do in the flesh is reform something. Raise your hand if you have kids that play with Legos or have had kids that play with Legos. You ever step on those Legos? Oh, my goodness. Good night. You're about to lose your Christianity. <clears throat> reform is all about building with Legos, right? I can give you a bucket of Legos, and you can build a skyscraper. You can then take that same bucket of Legos and build a car, and that same bucket of Legos and build a house, right? But no matter what you do with those Legos, they're still Legos, right? You're just, re- you're just taking the same parts, moving them around, making something that looks different on the outside. But on the molecular level, they're still Legos, right? That's what re- reformation does. That's what reforming does. It takes the out- makes the outside look nice, but on the inside, it's still the same, Right? Then we get to transform. And, 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 and the flesh, we try to reform things. We try to reshape things. Every New Year's, I think many of us make resolutions to reform things. But on the inside, we're still the same, aren't we? This is where the term transformation comes in. This is the difference between flesh and spirit. Okay, Because transformation is a work of the spirit. Transformation is taking those Legos... And making Plato out of it. And in the flesh, we can't do that. I can't change me on a molecular level, on, on an internal level. Only God can do that. And that is exactly what he's promised to do through the Spirit. Did you know that? Go to the book of Titus, chapter 3. Titus, chapter 3, verse number 5. Verse 4. Titus 3, verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God, uh, uh, of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in in righteousness, not because of any work of the flesh that we have done. We're not talking about reformation here. We're not talking about making ourselves appear to be righteous but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured, poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. You see it there? What is the promise here? Let's look at this. By the washing of, what's that next word? Regeneration. This word means literally to regenerate gene. I'm not talking about the blue jeans that we're wearing. I'm talking about re-gene as far as genetics, okay? What what the promise here through the spirit is to change your DNA, to change you from the inside out to re-gene you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Did you know that God has the power to rewire you? Amen. He made you, didn't he? He knows our frame, he knows us from the inside. God has the power to re-gene you. And that is the promise that we have here in Titus, that by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Take us all the way back to Romans 8. We are no longer slaves to sin, and we are no longer controlled by the flesh because of the Spirit dwelling in us the spirit that has re us, that has regenerated us, that has renewed us in Christ. So we are no longer condemned. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer controlled by our flesh. Let's pray. Father, thank you for um, this time together. Thank you for your word and God, just this opportunity uh, that we've had to uh, dig into your word a little bit. God, I just pray that you would take these truths Write them on our hearts. God, remind us, Lord, regularly, continually of who we are in you. We are your children. You have adopted us. You have engrafted us into your family. God, we are so humbled and so thankful, Lord, that this is not a result or, uh, of any works of righteousness that we have done, but only by your mercy. God, thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for his work on the cross. Thank you for your gift of salvation through your son, Jesus Christ. God, thank you for this opportunity, uh, Lord, again, to be together. Give us grace and blessing. God, as we depart from this place, Father, we love you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.